Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I want to hear cannons. Outfield, pull up, ball to the five, touchdown Tampa Bay. Mike Evans does it again. Fire the cannons, Bucks. It's first and goal. That's picked up. That's picked up. And who else? Rondé Barber. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers may ride to the Super Bowl with that one. Third down, 18. Dropping again and looking again and looking again. Those up with the hands on the side. Derek Brooks, 30. Brooks to the 29. He's got Derek Brooks all the way. There it is. The dagger's in. We're going to win the Super Bowl. And there the cannons come. Fire them. Keep on firing them. Keep on firing them. Hello and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Happy Friday to you. I'm your host, as always, Rip Matthew. Joined alongside me, it's the return of my good buddy and co-host from BucksNation.com, the Philly Bucks fan himself, Evan Wanish. And very special guest this week to help us break down Week 11's matchup between the 4-5 and five Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the daunting San Francisco 49ers, who have gotten back to their winning ways after a little bit of a slump earlier this season. A contributor for the Niners Wire and a host of the Believe in 49ers podcast, one of the newer shows over on the Believe Podcast Network. We are lucky to have Tommy Call the Third helping us break this thing down. Tommy, how you doing, my friend? Good, man. And uh, listening to that little introduction there got me fired up. I like the throwback to some older bucks, you know, Derek Brooks. Usually when you hear these introductions the newer current players so i like that you know it made me think about those old bucks teams and i want to hear some mike Allstop next time though yeah so next time we mix that in you know i i appreciate that it's it's funny we actually had mike Allstop in the in the intro for like two or three years he did a little sounder for us of hey it's mike Allstop. you're listening to the can podcast for some reason i took that out but because of that request i will i will explicitly put it back in because there was no reason that should have been taken out in the first place oh i just said any kid growing up watching football learning how to play football mike Allstott like had to be one of your favorite players in that late 90s early 2000s window he still is is one of my favorite players of all time for the longest time he was my favorite offensive buck i mean he was my favorite bucks player ever uh, you know, Mike Evans has kind of taken up that spot just simply due to the production and the fact that I've gotten to watch his entire career as an older adult. And I can appreciate it a little bit more because, you know, I've aged a lot with Mike Evans as he has played on this Bucks team. Um, but a legacy of greatness for sure. And some of the best to ever do it in this franchise. Mike Allstott, one of a kind, dude. There are there are really not a lot of players in NFL history like him. But unfortunately, the Bucks do not have Mike Allstott in their arsenal this week as they face... A very tall task against the San Francisco 49ers. And as I was saying earlier, you know, you, it, you can't measure teams in the NFL by what they've done year to year because that's just not how it works. You, you can hardly judge teams by what they do week to week because any given Sunday in the NFL. But the last time these two teams played, the Niners won 35 to 7. It was Brock Purdy's first career start, and they ran all over Tom Brady in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, that was a year ago. So. You know, I have to ask, we, we talk about what's different with these teams from season to season. And and Tommy, when you look at this 49ers roster, another year in a row where they're just loaded. Like on both sides of the ball, there, there is so much talent. Um, and a team can be good on paper and, and not be that great. But the 49ers, even with the slump that they had a little bit earlier this season, they figured it out. They still have a potent offense. They still have a defense and especially a defensive line that is going to give any offensive front problems what are some of the biggest differences between the Niners team this year compared to what the Bucks were up against in 2022 
I think it starts with a lot of integration of Christian McCaffrey. I mean, he's been, it's almost like he's so good that we don't have to talk about him because you just know he's going to get a hundred yards and a touchdown and make play after play. And it's going to be third and long. They're going to hand it off to him. He's somehow going to get the first down. But I mean, what he tends to do week in and week out is nothing short of impressive, amazing, whatever word you want to attach to it. And now he is the dude of the 49ers offense. And whenever you bring in a guy, you know, mid-season, there's always going to be some type of, you know, period in between where he's learning the offense. And as fast as he clicked, it felt like he was, you know, destined to play for Kyle Shanahan and be in the 49ers offense. Well, this year, I mean, he's so good. It's almost like when I talk on the podcast and we're probably right after the game about him, I almost don't even need to mention him just because when you think of the San Francisco 49ers, it's just like something you almost write off that you know Christian McCaffrey's going to get you because no one's really slowed him down this year. And you can talk a lot about Brock Purdy and the rest of the weapons and all those guys deserve to be rightfully mentioned, but Christian McCaffrey is just that good offensive line. We want to talk about defense. The most consistent piece week in and week out is Christian McCaffrey is tough to deal with with Kyle Shanahan calling plays for him. Yeah, and if the Bucks have any measure of success on the defensive side of the ball this week, it's going to depend on how they decide to address Christian McCaffrey. And, and luckily... You know, Todd Bowles, with this defensive unit, they've seen Christian McCaffrey quite a few times. He used to play him twice a year in Carolina. So I will say that he's got a history of knowing how to deal with this guy. But again, just the sheer amount of weapons on that Niners offense, uh, it's going to be tough because you can take away Christian McCaffrey, but you're still going to be left with guys like George Kittle, Debo Samuel coming back around. Brandon Ayuk is prone to have a breakout game. So there are all types of weapons that you're going to have to look out for. But overall, coming into this game for Tampa Bay, you know, they're hoping for a lot of things to go right. Let's be honest. You know, we're, we're not going to sit here and pretend like this is potentially going to be a close game or even a shootout in the style of like Houston and Tampa Bay was a few weeks ago. I, I just don't think that's going to be the case. I think for the Bucks to stand a chance in this game, they've talked a lot about it this week. They talk about a championship atmosphere. And it's kind of an interesting choice of words, but I can understand what they mean by championship atmosphere because when you are playing championship level football, you have to be perfect. And for the Bucs, if they stand a chance this week, this is going to have to be the best game that they have played all season. Uh, Evan, it's been a little while, my friend. Your thoughts on the Bucs here a couple of weeks later heading into probably their toughest matchup of the season. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we haven't talked um, in a little bit, but, you know, the the, the Houston loss, you know, we've, we've been over that, um, was really inexcusable. And I even wrote for Bucs Nation. Like, I, I wrote for, for Bucs Nation that the Bucs season was over. I, I declared the Bucs season as being done after that game. Uh, that's the type of game where it's tough to recover from. I mean, 46 seconds, a rookie quarterback ended up losing that game. Uh, able to bounce back against the Titans. Uh, Titans offense has really struggled. And the Bucs defense is going to have to, maybe not that type of production, but the Bucs defense is going to have to keep them in this game uh, because I don't I just don't think you can expect the Bucks offense to go out and score 24 you know 25 26 points uh, against this 49ers defense especially on the road I just don't think that's going to happen so you mentioned uh, Tommy you mentioned Christian McCaffrey and obviously Rhett you know you mentioned about last year and you don't want to harp too much on last year and we're not going to keep going back to last year's matchup because two very different teams especially the Bucks like a lot has changed for Tampa Bay since then um, but Christian McCaffrey, the 49ers actually in that game didn't have a receiver with over a hundred, uh, with over a hundred, uh, catches or catches, uh, a hundred yards receiving, right? 
But Christian McCaffrey had 14 carries for 119 yards and a touchdown. So that's going to be a big emphasis, I think, for Tampa this week to stop Christian McCaffrey on the ground. Uh, Brock Purdy only had five incompletions, so you're going to have to get more pressure on him, force him to be uncomfortable. Um, and I think the 49ers, yeah, you're going to get a healthy dose of McCaffrey. And now, and, and this was actually when they these two teams played last year, McCaffrey was only with the 49ers for a few weeks at that point. Now McCaffrey is fully integrated into this offense, and he's looking like one of the best running back, if not the best running back in the NFL right now. So it's going to be a real challenge to stop. And I think the Bucks' defense is what's going to have to keep them in the game, force a turnover or two. Um, they had a you know a t- one turnover against Tennessee last week. They should have had four or five. They dropped about three interceptions. So when those opportunities arise, you're going to have to take advantage of it. And I think as long as the offense can play, you know, we talk about complimentary football a lot, right? I think this is going to have to be that game where the Bucs are going to have to play a perfect blend of complimentary football. The defense putting the offense in better positions and the offense not screwing up, not turning the ball over, not giving the defense some short fields, uh, you know, being able to play the field position game. That's what you're going to have to do in order to pull off this upset because, yeah, okay, Todd Bowles' defense has seen Christian McCaffrey a lot. Last time they saw him, it didn't go well. And Todd Bowles, you've seen it with Sean McVay. You've seen it with Kyle Shanahan now. Really, a lot of the really, really good offensive minds have had success against Bowles' defense in the past. Like They really have had success against Bowles' defense, even though Tampa's defense has been a strength this year. Um, I, I don't know what to expect exactly. Now, they should be getting Carlton Davis back uh, this week. Should help. Um, but Carlton Davis, last time you saw him, he was brutal against Houston. So we'll see. But I, I do think this week is going to be all about playing that complimentary football uh, that I talked about earlier. Yeah, both teams coming into this matchup relatively healthy. San Francisco, not only are they potent, they are healthy. And they just got Trent Williams back in the lineup just recently, uh, which has definitely helped them. It's going to be a tough test for that Buccaneers defensive line, who, again, are taking steps in the right direction as of last week. But they were playing the Tennessee Titans, who have a makeshift offensive line. A little bit different. Yeah, a little bit different uh, scenario, especially they are playing on the road this week as well. The Bucs, you mentioned getting Carlton Davis back in that secondary after missing him last week. Ryan Neal, the only Tampa Bay Buccaneer ruled out of this week's game, so it'll be interesting to see a higher workload for D Delaney for sure, and hopefully you see some more consistency in that secondary uh, from a guy like Christian Izian too, who has been up and down this year, but looking for him to bounce back this week with some more reps. Tommy, when, you know, from the perspective of the Niners coming into this game, you're sitting at 6-3. and three. This is a team that... This is a team in the Bucs that have been underwhelming all year, right? A 3-1 and one start. Baker Mayfield's been playing well, but there's still a lot of issues here, and clearly this isn't a team that's going to be going on a championship run, uh, championship run anytime soon. Now, for the Niners who get back to their winning ways, when you see a team like the Bucs, where they are on the schedule right now, what is the general consensus in, uh, in San Fran? I mean, it... it- it screams, I mean, it's simple, but it screams, you know, trap game. You look ahead for the San Francisco 49ers and they play the Seattle Seahawks, which is going to be, I think, one of the most anticipated games of the season on Thanksgiving. So it's a short week. And then following that, you get the NFC rematch, the NFC championship rematch against the Philadelphia Eagles. As good as they played against the Jacksonville Jaguars, that looked like a different team than what we've seen from the previous three weeks from the 49ers. Inconsistency, unfortunately, has been a theme, specifically on defense. I mean, 
as good as I think when you think about the San Francisco 49ers outside with the playmakers, Christian McCaffrey, we can talk about all those guys. The most consistent thing with the 49ers is they have a good defense, right? For years, as long as Kyle Shanahan's been there, it seems like they've put out a good defense. Well, this year it's been a bit funky as good as, you know, Fred Warner's had incredible games as disruptive as Nick Bosa has been. The secondary has gotten picked apart by guys like Joe Burrow and Kirk Cousins. And you're looking at, you know, what Mike Evans could do to that secondary if he gets time, if Baker Mayfield gets time, that is problems. That's where this 49ers defense has kind of taken some lumps. But the addition of Chase, Chase Young, who we haven't even mentioned yet, really seemed to do a few things to that defensive line. And then Steve Wilkes, the defensive coordinator here in San Francisco, I mean, there's been a lot of criticism about him when they rode that three-game losing streak, and he came down from the booth to the sideline, something Kyle Shanahan wanted, and it looked like a different team. Talk about having the swagger back, having the edge back, him on the sideline celebrating with the players. It just seemed like they had a different tone. That's the thing that I'm going to be watching, because if that translates, then we – we do talk about, you know, how how do the 49ers run this game up? Is it a, you know, quote unquote, like cruise control type of game for the 49ers? However, if that defense looks like they looked against the Vikings, against um, Joe Burrow and the Bengals, then I could see this going down in the fourth quarter because if they can't get pressure, the secondary is, you know, if you're going to talk about a weak spot on a loaded roster, it's been the weak spot so far. And and the Bucks have playmakers at wide receiver and that is you know scary that's the thing that I'm circling if they shut that down it's a different story yeah it's a different offense this year for Tampa Bay and and really they're just they're looking for any kind of improvement uh from where they were in this game last season you know you you have to put up a fight and, and this is a Bucks team so far this season that honestly just has not showed up in the games that they've had against these tougher teams in the NFL you know Crap the bed on primetime against the Eagles. You did it again in the creamsicle against the Lions. Those are two of the toughest defenses they've played so far. So just to rattle off some of the names on that 49ers defense, we talk about the talent and how deep they are. Chase Young on that defensive line. Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave, Nick Bosa, Randy Gregory, Javon Kinlaw, former first-round pick Cleland Farrell. That is just the defensive line, by the way. And that's going to be the big turning point uh, for this Buccaneers offense this week, we can talk all day about the playmakers at wide receiver. We can talk about how Baker Mayfield has been playing well. But this young Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive line, they have had some bright spots. But the concern mainly being that interior, guys like Robert Hainsey not playing his natural position. Cody Malk still coming around there at right guard. And then Aaron Stinney going to be, uh, I think, starting his third game in a row at the left guard spot. Matt Filer back from injury. But Stinney has that job until he doesn't. Evan, your thoughts on this Buccaneers offensive line headed into this week and and how that's going to affect any type of plans at all they have uh, for offense. Yeah, I actually think uh, that's probably the X factor in this game. I think when you're looking at matchups, I I think if the Buccaneers offensive line can play well enough to give Baker Mayfield time. Now, I mean, Mayfield still has to make the right decisions. And at times we've seen a little bit tricky there, especially against top defenses. Um, But I, I do think that if given time, just like Tommy said, I do think there's areas in this 49ers secondary that Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and even like Rashad White out of the backfield, which we've seen a lot more of the past few weeks, uh, Kate Otten as well. Uh, I think there's some things that they can exploit, uh, but 
he needs the time to do it. And just like you mentioned, you know, Nick Bosa and Chase Young being those two guys that Tristan Warps and Luke Gedeke are going to be facing most of the time, it's going to be a tough task. It, it really is. And um, I'm curious to see, you know, who they line up against who. I would imagine they might try and get Bosa some reps against Gedeke. I don't know if you want him facing Warps uh, for a lot of the games. So I think you might see them switch off a little bit. Uh, but obviously, you no, know, just – there's there's so much talent on this defensive line for San Francisco, and that's something to where it can wreck the game. And that's where, you know, you do a few quick three and outs, your defense gets tired, and all of a sudden you blink an eye and you're down 14 nothing. And then the game gets away from you. You can't run the ball, which the Bucks haven't really, like, to their credit, they've, I think the past few weeks, they've run the ball a little bit less. Um, because I think they realize that they're just not a great running football team. So they've played, they're playing to their strength a little bit more. I would expect that again, especially against the 49ers secondary that has some weaknesses. But at the same time, it's not going to matter if Baker Mayfield doesn't have time. So uh, I think that is the absolute biggest matchup when you're looking at this. Uh, it has to be the, the Bucks offensive line versus 49ers defensive line. If the 49ers D-line goes out and dominates, I think it could be quite similar to what it was last year. But if... You know, the, the Bucks offensive line can go out and just hold them, which, I mean, they've done a pretty decent job this season so far of allowing pressures and stuff. If they can go out and just contain them a little bit, I do think the Buccaneers could make things a little bit interesting here. I, I truthfully think that a lot of what they do on offense this week is also going to have to come down to, to the creativity in this passing game and just forcing the ball downfield, taking advantage of a secondary that has been picked on because... You know, between the offensive line and, unfortunately, the Bucks' uh, abysmal attempts at running the football, I just don't see this being the week that, you know, they're they're all of a sudden going to right the ship with the run game. And they haven't, which is why they have tweaked the usage of Rashad White. You've seen him pop up more in the passing game. He's playing well. He's playing confident. I expect him to have another big game in the, uh, in the passing game this week. But, you know, I just, this isn't the week that you can hand the ball to Rashad White 15, 20 times and send him up the A-gap because the strength, of that ridiculous defensive line for San Francisco, I've been told, is in the interior. So, you know, Tommy, again, from the defensive perspective, before we talk about the other side of the football, you had mentioned the threat of the wide receivers, but is there anything else that you think San Fran's going to be gunning for or any other potential X factors for the Bucks on offense? I mean, I think you bring up a really good point about the interior of the defensive line. I think Javon Hargrave, the 49ers obviously inked him to a massive contract, and it was you know, as cliche as it sounds like the rich get richer type of, you know, signing, because he's been, in my opinion, one of the most underrated players in all of football. I mean, every week, it seems like he is the most consistent piece of making big plays, whether it's, you know, gobbling up guys on the interior with with the uh, run defense to putting pressure. And he's been the most beneficial of Nick Bosa getting, you know, double teams and stuff. Cause if you have to block Javon Hargrave one-on-one -on -one, and then you look next to him, Eric Armstead, who's an, another very good player. That seems like where it is a big mismatch in this game because Tristan Wirfs, in my opinion, has been amazing. You know, one of the better offensive linemen in all of football. And we have one here in Trent Williams and you kind of mirror those two guys as those are the two top pieces, but the interior of that defensive line for the 49ers seems like they really could disrupt things. And especially break Baker Mayfield, they want to try and do short throws because they're worried about Bosa, you know, coming around the edge. It's where Javon Hargrave could really shine. And I know you mentioned Rashad White. The thing is, is about him catching the ball out of the backfield is you have one of the 
you know, most dominant kind of disruptors in that segment with Fred Warner. I mean, if you're going to stick Fred Warner on a guy, Kate Otten, Rashad White out of the backfield, if he has a job assigned to him, he's probably going to do it and do it really well. And so if that's the the game plan, I feel like, you know, the 49ers will take that all day long. I think the big play is if you can get Tristan Wirfs matched up against Bosa and he wins that battle and Baker's allowed to have a five-step drop and hit a deep bomb type of thing, that's where this game could, that's where the things I think could swing in terms of the bugs, the bucks. It's, it's, you know, the big play, the short, I think if you, if you, you know, you tell the 49ers, you tell Steve Wilson right now, they're going to try and, you know, chip up and down the field on you, swing the ball out of the backfield, short route slants to Godwin, things like that. They're like, okay, we'll take it. Like we can hang with that. That's, that's right to us. If they're going to, you know, Baker Mayfield, not shy to put the football down the field. That's where it's like, okay, we can, you know, we can see something here because that's where the 49ers, even, you know, their best corner, Traveris Ward has been exposed a couple of times with letting big plays happen. And you think about Jordan Addison in prime time kind of went off against this team specifically and that's a guy that you probably look at and go, your assignments, you know, Mike Evans, this one, you know, we're maybe going to follow him up and down the field. And if he gets beat, that's where this game could, I think, get a little bit funky and swing in favor of the Bucks. Yeah, and even more pressure on Baker Mayfield in that situation, just because you talk about the emphasis of making that big play down the field, peeling the top off of this defense and picking on a secondary that, you know, has been prone to being picked on so far this season. But for Baker we talk about everybody on this Bucks team just having to play the, to the best of their ability. You know, hitting the deep ball has been a little bit of an issue. Baker's got probably three, four, five throws a game where he's either just off target on the deep throw or just off target in general, and he's going to want that throw back. But that's going to have to be cleaned up because you're not going to get too many looks at a wide open Mike Evans running down the field or even Chris Godwin for that matter. So maybe if you're lucky, you know, five, six, seven times a game, that seems a little rich, but that's really it as far as, you know, the amount of times you're going to get a good look at taking a shot downfield. So the Bucks just really going to have to be on their P's and Q's this week on the offensive side of the ball. We talked a lot about the defensive line. I want to switch sides now and talk about the defensive line for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And we had a lot of really good things to say about this Buccaneers pass rush last week. 13 quarterback hits, Four sacks on Will Levis. They also got the late interception from Antoine Winfield Jr. Probably should have had three or four more interceptions on the day. That's where execution is going to come in handy. But it is what it is. You got to take advantage of those opportunities. This week, (laughs) I don't quite think there's going to be as many opportunities. Um, This is a pass rush that has been underperforming. Point Blake simple is that. The Bucs did some tweaking, and I'm going to be interested to see how these younger guys fit uh, fit into this rotation. Kalijah Kansi also getting a lot more reps at that interior lineman position, becoming a really good-looking first-round pick for the Bucs. But, you know, Shaq Barrett, Joe Tryon Shoenka, those guys have been absent. Anthony Nelson, a rotational guy who's making $7 million a year, has been mostly absent. The Bucs threw some new guys to the win. You've gotten to see some more of Yaya Diaby, and even though he was on the field for a limited time, Undrafted free agent Marquise Watts going to be getting more reps this week, hoping to get some production out of him. He has looked good as well. Evan, your thoughts on a really young Buccaneers defensive line who, again, had some success last week, but I don't think it's quite going to be that easy uh, this Sunday. Yeah, I mean, you know, in fairness, you know, to to the Bucs, they played well. 
right? Like like the defensive line played well. Now, I think you'd like more out of Joe Trinshawinka and Shaq Barrett in that game last week against Tennessee, especially, you know, you invested a first-round pick in Trinshawinka, you're paying Shaq Barrett all this money. You'd like a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, like you said, the young guys, I mean, Kalaja Kansi, I this guy is really good. Like, if they're, like, I was going to say something bold, but like I do think by the end of next year, not 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 the end of this year, he hasn't played enough games. Like he just, you know, it's still a very small sample size. It's unfortunate that that injury happened, then he had to miss, you know, basically all training camp and all preseason, and then he got injured again and had to miss more games. It really does suck. Uh, but I think by the end of year two, we could be looking at this guy as one of the better defensive linemen in the NFL. Like I just, I see the potential there. Um, he's flashing so much this early that I think the Bucks have a stud on their hands uh, with Kalaji Kansi, Yaya Diaby. I I don't think stud, but I think solid rotational piece, and that's what you need right now. Kind of, and I didn't like the Nelson contract at the time. Yaya Diaby playing this way, I'm like, uh, well, you could have used that cap space somewhere a little bit better than Anthony Nelson probably because Yaya Diaby is essentially doing what Nelson does. But um, I mean, both those guys, I, I think, have a pretty bright future in Tampa Bay. But again, you know, I'm not even going to mention Vita Vea. We know what Vita Vea is like, but by this point, you know, you know what he is. But it's going to have to come down to those guys, Shaq Barrett, Joe Trinshawinka. Like, I understand Shaq Barrett coming off just over a year now, um, a little over a year, you know, removed from that major injury, had a tough offseason, you know, with the loss of his daughter and everything, had a lot on his mind, I'm sure, right now, still has a lot on his mind. At the same time, you're out there, and you're expected to perform, you get paid a lot of money to perform, and he's just not doing it right now. He's getting a little older. Uh, Joe Trinshawinka has been disappointing. Like, this is, I think, a make or break year for Joe Trinshawinka, and you know, this is year three, and we're going to be entering year four next year, and the Buccaneers this offseason have to decide whether or not to pick up the fifth-year option on Joe Trinshawinka, and right now, they're probably going to decline it. Like, it, it's they're probably going to decline that option. So um, those two guys, I think, are going to have to be big keys to this. And Kalaja Kansi, sure, but I'm not going to pin this all on a rookie. You know, so I think I'm going to pin on the the – First, the first round pick who's been in the league for three years and the guy that's being paid is one of the higher paid linebackers or outside linebackers in the NFL. Um, those two guys are going to have to do it. Now, just like we talked about, you know, when you mentioned Tristan Wirfs, yeah, Trent Williams is uh, one of the, if Tr- if Tristan Wirfs is one, Williams is two. If Williams is one, Wirfs is two. Um, I think that that's how you're sort of looking at this thing right now in terms of left tackles. Um, Trent Williams has been so good for this 49ers team, and um, it's not going to be easy, but you got to find a way to get pressure, and specifically with four, because I don't want to be blitzing Brock Purdy a ton, not with the amount of playmakers. I mean, Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, you're talking about guys, and even George Kittle, you're talking about guys who can make a lot happen after the catch, right? They, they can make a lot happen after the catch, and uh, I think that if you're going to blitz them, you better make sure you get home, because if you don't, it could be ugly. So hopefully uh, the Bucks can get enough pressure with four guys to, like I said, be able to make Purdy uncomfortable, make a few maybe misfires, and the Bucks can create a turnover to that way and get the ball back to their offense. Tommy, when you look at the Niners' offense, obviously Brock Purdy playing better as well since that three-game slump. 
you look at the weapons that they have and, and what they're facing in this Buccaneers defense, what do you think are some of the keys for them this week to just stay as efficient as they have been? Yeah, I think efficiency is a really good word to bring up with them. And also, um, last week, as much as you know, Trent Williams getting him back was massive. Last week they got back to Evo Samuel, and you look at his game against the Jaguars, and he didn't, you know, have the sixty-yard catch downfield. But just the ability, the threat of Debo Samuel, I think, does something for defensive coordinators when he's just on the field, whether it's lining up in the backfield, taking those little swings, end arounds, things like that. Um, getting him behind Trent Williams, as good as Trent Williams is as a pass rush, uh, protecting the passer. He's just a menace in the run game. So getting anyone behind him, good things happen. And Debo Samuel, getting him the football, just frees guys up like Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, things like that. There's just an edge, an attitude to the 49ers offense that's just not there without Debo Samuel. And so getting him and then I think keeping Brock Purdy, you know, as good as he's been, we've seen the oh no Brock Purdy, right? We've seen the the bad throws. We've seen the um when he gets, I think he's good off script. So just saying, you know, keeping him on script, I think is something we've gotten so used to saying here in San Francisco with guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, sticking to Kyle Shanahan's exact scheme plays, whatever you want to call it. Well, Brock Purdy, the Brack Bach Brack bleh, backyard Brock. Him just playing in the backyard, running around. We saw last week when he hit that touchdown to George Kittle. That was completely off his back foot. And then he throws the touchdown pass to Brandon Ayuk across his body over the middle of the field. And you go, oh, no, when he threw it. But it ends up being a touchdown. So that's him kind of, you know, punching through that wall with the 49ers offense. But it gets to a point where when he's almost planting and firing and sticking to that script so much where he's not throwing to a player, he's throwing to a spot and teams can take advantage of that. So keeping him kind of on the Brock Purdy script, not the exact Kyle Shanahan where he is running around and, and making some plays on his own, but also where it gets to where it's just not planting fire, planting fire. And they're just trying to get the ball out because maybe the pass trust, like you guys just mentioned is getting there or whatever, trying to kind of limit those little mistakes that he can make. And getting the ball to the playmakers, as simple as it is, you guys mentioned, there's so many guys out there on this, on the field and that can, you know, ruin a game for another team. And, you know, it's, it's as simple as that for a team like the 49ers with, so that's why they have so many good, you know, weapons on this team. It's as easy as just getting the football to them and letting them, let them make it happen. Yeah. I think a big key for any offense against the Bucks defense this year has been just spreading them out I know that sounds ridiculous but you know getting creative with the offensive game plans where you're running outside zone concepts with your running backs where you're pulling a left tackle and you get him running full speed at some unexpected linebacker you know I I think the plays like that this week are what's going to kill the Bucks. You know, it's going to be it's going to be Debo Samuel on an end around or some double fake play where they pick up 25 30 yards because those are the type of plays that the Bucks seem to fall for time and time and time again. And Evan, you also talked about this Buccaneers pass rush and their emphasis on getting after the quarterback. I I don't think this defensive line even after last week I just don't think they're good enough to to apply pressure on Brock Purdy the entire game. Like that's how you beat any quarterback in the NFL as you apply right. pressure. I don't think they're going to do that with four down linemen. Now, Devin White has had an uptick in production ever since the Bucs have started sending him back at the quarterback a little bit more, which is what potentially made him that big contract he could sign this coming offseason. But, you know, you send a guy on a blitz, 
you leave somebody open. And we just tallied off all the names on this offense for San Francisco. If you're covering uh, Christian McCaffrey, chances are you're going to have Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, or even uh, the fullback. Juszczyk, you know, finds a way to make some plays and get open every now and again. And those are the type of players that are, we call them butt killers around here because it's the least assuming guy ever, but he somehow manages to have his best career game against the Buccaneers defense. So, it's going to be interesting for sure. But Evan, what are some more things you notice about this Bucks defense coming into this one and just how they're going to have to equip themselves to to try and slow down San Francisco? Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how the, you know, the, the well, they're kind of at full strength um, because if you consider Ryan Neal still a starter, I know many Bucks fans wishes um, that he would not be a starter, but I would still consider him a starter. But I, okay, basically full strength. Uh, I'm looking to see how a full strength Bucks secondary can rebound because the last time we saw the full strength Bucks secondary, they were getting torched by CJ Stroud. And look, CJ Stroud is fantastic. Like I think he proved that last week against the Bengals. Like did that dude? It's a real is deal. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like like he one is one of the most fun players to watch right now. It seems yeah, like. he yeah. he is unbelievable. At the same time, still is unacceptable. <laughs> like for the Buccaneers defense to just get shredded time and time again with big play after big play. It wasn't like death by a thousand paper cuts. It was death by five stab wounds. Like it it was. You know, it, it was just bomb and bomb and bomb. 25 yards, 20 yards, 75 yards, 30 yards. That's what it was all day. So they really, really cannot have that against San Francisco because with San Francisco's defense, look, you ain't scoring a 37. You know, like it, Texans score 39. You ain't scoring a 37 in this one, Tampa. Like, <laughs> like you're just not doing it. So um, the secondary, I'm going to be keeping an eye on the full strength secondary now with Carlton Davis back, Jamel Dean there, um, and hopefully they can rebound from the last time we saw him full. Yeah, it'll be interesting to monitor, too, because the Bucks went into last week's game without Carlton Davis, their number one corner. And it seemed like that was the first week in a while that they kind of changed their philosophy on what they're asking these guys to do on defense. Jamel Dean spoke about it after the game. There was an improved focus on man coverage, which is what you would Crazy think. Crazy concept. Yeah, which is what you would think a lot of these Bucks corners and, and you know, uh, defensive players would be good at. It's where they've had the most success. It's where guys like Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, uh, Antoine Winfield Jr., even he, even though he's at the safety position, you know he, he thrives in man coverage. These guys just do everything a little bit better when they're not playing 10 to 15 yards off of the ball. So you talk about getting back to full strength this week with Carlton Davis back in the lineup. I will be curious to see what kind of you know defensive philosophy they roll out this week. Is it going to be a lot more man coverage like it was last week? This is a physical offense you're playing against. I think it's going to be a lot of high percentage looks for Brock Purdy. So maybe you got to do a good job of keeping everything in front of you. I I, I don't Here, know what it's going to look like this week, but they are back to full strength, like you said. Here's the thing. Okay, man coverage. I agree. They should be playing man coverage. They're better man than they are zone. Jamel Dean's a better man corner. Carlton Davis is certainly a better man corner. <laughs> um that being said, the Titans' leading receiver last week was Kyle Phillips. Who called that? By the, oh, I wish you were here on the game preview, but uh, somebody said that that was going to happen. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, their second leading receiver was Tajay Spears. Their third leading receiver was Chig Okonkwo. Then DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> then Chris Moore. Uh, what, what's this guy? Josh Wiley. Uh 
the 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 Nick Westbrook Akinhe and then Derek Henry. That's a little different than Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey. Just a little bit. So that's why I would say, like, while you can play man, right? And I do think it'll be better. I wouldn't expect. Oh, they're playing man. They're just gonna shut them down. No, like, like that's that's not gonna that's not gonna fly. Um, they did play better, but at the same time, I just I don't want to get my hopes up about this defense because we saw them get. I mean, you know, they struggled against Philly a little bit. Now Philly. Uh, they didn't. They only scored what twenty five points, but they you know struggled a little bit against the the Lions. They gave up a ton of yards, but not a ton of points because their red zone defense has still been pretty good. Against the Texans, their red zone defense was awful. They gave up big plays and they let up thirty nine points, um, which I mean is an outlier for sure. At the same time, though, the Titans' offense is a little bit different, right, than the 49ers' offense, and I just I don't want Bucks fans to get their hopes up. You know, with this defense, because at the same time, while it was good, right, you went out, you did a job, especially after the Titans made that first drive look fairly easy, went up three, nothing. And you're thinking, oh, boy, you know, the Bucks don't respond. Then they give the ball right back. You're thinking, oh, here we go again. This is going to be 10, nothing quick. And then all of a sudden you're playing from behind. Give credit to the Buccaneers, right? They did a really, really nice job of playing last Sunday. That being said, at the same time, you also have to acknowledge the talent level that they were playing, and this is just a completely different talent level. So I'm curious to see how they match up now, but at the same time, I'm not expecting them to go out there and just dominate. If you can hold the 49ers to... 21 points i think that's a big win right i mean that's i think that's a huge win um do i think it's going to happen who knows Uh, i like we talked about the defensive line if the defensive line doesn't show up that won't be happening because i just don't think you're going to be able to stop this 49ers offense if you can't get pressure on the quarterback so um we'll have to wait and see but like i said i I don't think man coverage man coverage will help. I just don't think the oh play man coverage is a simple fix. I don't think that because the sample size we got was against an offense that is just brutal right now. Yeah, Tommy, some closing thoughts here on the 49ers offense before we get into some score predictions here. What would you say is on the agenda of San Fran this week because we just talked a whole lot about how for the Bucks, you know, on defense Stopping Christian McCaffrey is priority number one. Like, I, I already have a feeling that that's the one thing they're going to harp on more than anything else. And at times, this has been a bend-but-don't-break kind of defense for the Bucks. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they're able to effectively shut down Christian McCaffrey, does George Kittle have 100-plus yards and a touchdown on the day? Does somebody else who you don't expect to break out have that big game in the box score at the end of four quarters? You know, for, for San Fran, they've proven to be dynamic and that key word again, efficient when they need to be. But what do you think are some of the biggest priorities for them this week? I think the 49ers, like they have been so efficient when it comes to scoring first and kind of hitting that early haymaker. I feel like if you look at any 49er game through, you know, six minutes, seven minutes in the first quarter, it's 14-0, 10-0, thing like that. And it just makes them so difficult because what the pressure that defense can bring when they're playing with a lead. Mm-hmm. This team just... And you can say this about any team in the NFL, I guess, but when they have a lead, it's just a different ball game because then you can just unhitch Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield and take some pressure off, you know, playing from behind with Brock Purdy and forcing him to make the big throws and stuff like that. Although he's responded great with it, 
I think coming into this game, you know, scoring early and often is going to be a is going to be a key, but that's not that's no secret. But the guy I think we haven't talked about really in this pod at all and deserves some credit is Brandon Ayuk. I mean, you talk about um got to make a step, breakout player, whatever you want to call it. This guy's just looking like one of the, you know, more bona fide better wide receivers in the NFC, if not the entire NFL. And his relationship with Brock Purdy, it seems like when Brock Purdy was a rookie last year, he planted and fired towards George Kittle, and it really opened George Kittle up. I mean, I think he had, you know, more tu- a ton of touchdowns down that final five-game stretch of the season. He was Purdy's guy, it seemed. But this year, and although, you know, in the stat, if you look at the box score, it might not be there. When things get, you know, uh, sticky for Purdy, he's going to look for Brandon Ayuk, and Brandon Ayuk's capitalized. And he's going to be a guy because you look at, I think if you were to power rank you know, I'll ask you guys, powering guys you're worried about for the 49ers. You start with Christian McCaffrey, then you go to Debo Samuel, then you go to George Kittle. So if Brandon Ayuk's your fourth worry and you're putting your, you know, good problem, worst, good problem to have if you're the fourth. Yeah. And, and he's just, he's really capitalized in these matchups. And you talk about, you know, whether they're going to play zone or man coverage. And with Kyle Shanahan, it's, it's good luck because we still have to, you know, account for this guy's one of the better play callers in the entire NFL. One of the guys, when you talk about getting a mismatch, he's going to absolutely expose it. And it seems like with Brock Purdy under center, they've just been clicking in that aspect. In that aspect, when he sees the mismatch, Brock Purdy's going to get that guy the football and let the playmakers do their thing. And it, so if you're, you know, looking at your guys' you know, second, third, fourth corner or whatever is going to be in charge of slowing down Brandon Ayuk. That's where the 49ers have just really exposed teams and he's racked up the numbers and the big catches and the timely catches specifically when, you know, it's not been there for Debo or Debo seems has been hurt like we've seen a little bit or they just don't want to give Christian McCaffrey 30 touches in a game and they're going to just look to get the football to somebody else. It's Brandon Ayuk who's really been the one to kind of punch up this offense to just a different level. And so I think that's where, and you can say this about, almost every opponent for the 49ers they're going to see if if he's going to be the guy that you're going to kind of leave off and let him beat you he's done it all season long so at what point do you start to flip-flop that conversation let's get into some score predictions here as we wrap up this week's game preview episode the tampa bay buccaneers with a four and five record believe it or not if the season ended today the fourth seed in the NFC. So take that for what you will half a game back still in the NFC South division behind the Atlanta Falcons Week 11, man, you know, it, it's one of those things where, like, it, it's always frowned upon for teams to look ahead to the to the following week. But as a fan, I'm kind of already doing that. Like, I, I hate to come on here and express <laughs> that I just don't have that much hope this week, but a, a lot of people are already calling this game an L. There's a lot of other Bucks podcasts that are letting people know, like, hey, Bucks probably going to lose this week. And uh, unfortunately, that's going to be my sentiments here. I do think... Let's let let let's uh, preview Indy. Come on, I I, I yeah. While, while we're here, Garnett, <laughs> I do think that this game has the potential to be closer than some people think. I, I don't think it's going to be a thirty-five to seven finish like it was last season. I think the Bucks have a potential to just play better in this game. Like they they've done things well against better teams this season. You know, the question is just going to be how well, how well they can do that this week because the Buccaneers right now are a much better team than they were when they played the Philadelphia Eagles in the earlier in the season. They're a better team now than when they played the Lions earlier in the season. I think the offense has more answers now than they did several weeks ago. You know, that game against the Houston Texans, regardless of the disappointing loss, I think it turns something on 
And, uh, you know, consistently, if it's going to show up week in and week out, I'm not too sure. But Baker Mayfield has had back-to-back fairly impressive games. So I'm going to be curious how effective they can be this week, especially with an added emphasis of throwing the football because I I don't think Rashad White or any of those running backs are going to have a good week carrying the rock. So I think 49ers fans are going to be sweating this one out a little bit. I think it plays into that trap game mentality, but in the end, I think it's too little too late. I think the Bucs will play well, but there's going to come a point in this game where the offense just stalls out, and that's where the difference will be. So... I think the Niners win this one. I'll say a 10-point game. Uh 28 to 18 is 18. Yeah, I know. It, it I don't I don't think that's scoregami, but 18 seems very odd. I'm not sure how we get there, but uh we'll figure it out. That's 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 half of the fun of the score predictions. Evan, what are your thoughts for this Sunday's game? All right, let's do Indy. Uh, no, I just yeah, I, you are right though. It does seem like a lot of people, um, and I haven't seen you know. I guess probably you know having the last three years with Tom Brady, you're always like, well, you know, you never, you know, you're never out of it with Tom Brady. But this is like honestly the first game like all season that I've seen fans are like, L. All right, let's go. You know, against Philly, people were like, oh, they're two and zero. You know, like the Bucks might be able to squeak that one out against Detroit. Like, oh, you know, the Creams have come off the bye week, coming off a big game against, you know, big win against the Saints. Maybe they can squeak that one out. This week, though, it's like there's just zero faith. Like, and I and I think the four game losing streak definitely has something to do with that. Um, yeah, the, the Bucks aren't going to win. Like, they're they're just, they're not going to win. Um, that being said, like I do agree with you. It's not going to be thirty five to seven. I I don't think it's going to be that. Uh, my score prediction is I just think the 49ers just have too much on offense. The Bucks offense, it's not an awful offense, but you've seen against the better defenses in the NFL, they tend to struggle, and I don't think that's going to change. Uh, they've been better on the road than they have been at home, but that being said, being on the road on the West Coast when you're an East Coast team, uh, all the travel and everything, I think it's a tough ask for them to win this game. So I'm going to go with uh, 49ers 30-17. Uh, to 17. Uh, So I, I think the Bucks keep it a little bit close, maybe in the first half, 49ers pull away a little bit in the second half. So uh, a 13-point win for San Francisco. Uh, like I said, I, I do think the Buccaneers are a little bit more competitive this year than they were last year, but I do think the 49ers take it. Tommy, what are you thinking? So I'm going to be, you know, I'm always a little bit more critical when it comes to the, as good as the 49ers are. It's hard to kind of pick weak spots and, and be that guy. But at the same time, you know, I think we didn't even talk a lot about this, but Brock Purdy, you know, he's still – you know, he's not a rookie, but he still is a very young quarterback who has shown the ability to, you know, he's 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 thrown the big interceptions when it's hurt them the most, right? He's played a pretty clean game, and then when it's close and they need to kind of put a team away, that's when the interceptions have come up during their three-game losing streak. And I think that that's fine. He is a young quarterback. Doing what he's done is less common than a young quarterback throwing interceptions and turning the football over because he's still, he was a seventh round draft pick for a reason. The 49ers struck gold with that, but you know, you're still going to see some lumps from time to time. So going into every game where Brock Purdy is still this young quarterback, I always have that in the back of my head that, you know, is he going to, you know, show the young quarterback that's still developing? Is he going to turn the football over when it matters most? So I always kind of want that to, you know, I was on a blanket statement that when we're talking about a game with the 49ers, however, Brock Purdy looked 
incredible last week. So up and down as we go throughout this season and learn more and more about him. Um, and with that being said, you know, Mike Evans really scares me as a team that we talked a lot about it. The secondary has given up the big play and Mike Evans is just one of the better football players of our generation. So of course, every time he's out there, it's going to worry you a little bit, but it's just too much. It just seems like the 49ers, especially if their defense and Steve Wilkes is going to be on the sideline again at home at Levi Stadium. It just seems like this defense is going to be too much for Baker Mayfield and the rest of the guys, specifically the defensive line, because if he doesn't have pressure, we don't have to worry about Mike Evans, right? Like that doesn't matter. And if you have, and if you're kind of pushing your chips on Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Chase Young, the rest of those guys, you feel comfortable with that. And the one thing Brock Purdy does well is he scores points. He puts up 30 points consistently when he is under center, getting the ball to these weapons. So I'm going to go 31-23. I do still think it's a relatively close game because I think the big play does come up in this contest, but I still think the 49ers are just too much overall. 31-23 is what my prediction is going to be. I agree. For the Bucks, a lot of things going to have to go right this week. And if they do... I mean, we're talking about potentially the biggest upset of the NFL season. You know, it, the Jets beat the Eagles a little earlier this, this would, year. This would be, I mean, it might be the biggest upset that I've seen since watching the Bucks. honestly. Like, <laughs> if, if they were to beat this team, maybe week one against the Saints in 2018. Maybe. that that's That's one that's close. But if they were to win this game, it would probably be the biggest upset since I've been watching. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to think of some other games. I mean, there's other games that have obviously held more weight in the history of the franchise. But just oh, for... we got a twenty dollars super chat Let's from Dante go. Mason. Thank you so much, Dante. He said, "Hey guys, those penalties on the first play and Mike Evans' touchdown stopped our momentum last year. I don't see that happening this week." He's referring to the very first play of last year's game. Uh, Keanu Neal blitzed. Brock Purdy got the sack and they called Keanu Neal for roughing the passer on, a, I believe, a helmet. The helmet hit. Didn't agree with the call there. And then, of course, he's also referring to, I believe it was 7 nothing 49ers at the time. Tom Brady hit Mike Evans for about a 50-yard touchdown. Was called back on a Donovan Smith holding penalty. <laughs> took off the points. And then the Bucks ended up getting nothing on that drive. So I believe that, I believe it was 7 nothing 49ers at the time would have tied that game. So that's what he's referring to. He's thinking, basically, if you don't have those two back-breaking penalties, maybe that game's a little bit different. And I do think that game is a little bit different. Do the Bucks win that game? I don't know, but I think it's a whole lot closer if those two penalties don't happen. Hopefully they don't happen on Sunday, but uh, we appreciate the Super Chat, Dante. Oh, we or Dante, get... not sure how to pronounce it, sorry. Oh, it's Dante. I had to get a Donovan Smith mention in there, didn't we? Huh? Well, it's relevant, so... <laughs> It is. Oh. It is relevant. So, it unfortunately, is. for Bucks fans, I know they're probably covering their ears right now or just turning it off. But um, it did happen, and it did change the game. So, um, and also, Tommy, you know, for the last three years, I, I was sort of the guy, always like, okay, yeah, they're they're good, but like, let's you know, l- l- let me predict a, a you know eight point win here. So, I definitely feel you uh, when you're sort of a believe it, you know, when you see it type of guy for sure. Yeah, it's a big game for sure for both of these teams. I think for the Bucks, you know, we talked about how in the history of the franchise, there's been some games that hold more weight, like obviously the playoff games, the Super Bowl appearances and all that. But, you know, for this season, like this, this game, I think, is going to define the momentum the Bucks yeah. have for the second half of the year. Like, does it, does it though? Is, is it this game or is it next out, week? I think if they I mean, come, to me, the, the, the must wins next week. 
Sure, but if they come out and they crap the bed and they just look absolutely lifeless, I don't even know how good I feel about next week. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm, but I'm just saying, like, in terms of, like, trying to make the playoffs, like, I believe the Falcons, the Falcons and Saints actually both have bye weeks this week. But then I believe next week they play each other. So, um, you know, if you were to lose this week and then lose next week, yeah, you're done. But, like, even if you lose this week but you win against Indy next week, you still have some life. So yeah. I think next week is the bigger game, honestly. Next week might also be the bigger game because for those who don't know, the Bucks confirm they are bringing back the pewter uniforms next week for that game against the Colts. So, uh, can, thank can God. you speaking of can you speaking of uniforms? Can you wear red on pewter anymore? Like, <laughs> like you're not the Dallas Cowboys. Like, you don't have to have a white as your primary uniform. Like, I, I don't, I don't understand it. Tommy, I I'm love a little you... uniform chat too. By the way, I'm all in on this. I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad you stuck around because uh, they've worn they've worn red uniforms once this season so far, one time. Like it's gonna like on so this Sunday they're wearing white on pewter. Next Sunday it's it's gonna be pewter on pewter, which I still think they should try pewter on white. But um, next Sunday it's gonna be pewter on pewter. That would mean that you're wearing the pewter jerseys the same amount of time so far that you that you've worn the red. That's unacceptable. Like why? Why even have the red jersey then? I just I don't. They've worn the cream circle the same amount of times, and, and, and they wore the red. I don't understand. Not only did they wear the red jersey very rarely this season, but they wore it with the white pants, which is my favorite combination with the red jersey. Nah, it's my red favorite uniform red cut. Yeah, yeah, it's incredibly. Nah. Wait, I, I got a quick question for you guys. Does the cream sickle give you guys like an automatic three point bump or swing on the predictions or whatever? Like it's automatically going to be a closer game or more favorable game for the Bucks. Um, to be honest with you to be honest with you sickles or their the, the record when they wear them is like two and no. six or whatever no. so they, I, they don't win much when they wore them okay uh, i i, 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 I think the lions to win that game too so I, yeah dante mason with another 20 dollars wow. chat. thank you so much for the support man he says real quick because it's payday and a good day at work my name is dante 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 LFG. Thank well, you, yeah, with, with you giving them me, me that you know the, the super chats, I, I definitely gotta definitely gotta learn to pronounce that. So sorry about that, Dante oh, Mason. Appreciate the other twenty dollars super chat. Really, really do uh, close out the show in a good way. Yeah, I'll tell you this, Tommy. The full Cannon Fire podcast experience is when you've been on the show long enough for us to start complaining about uniform combinations. We're, <laughs> we're both we're both uniform uh, uniform snobs. So I am very critical of the Buccaneers' wardrobe choice because I think they have some of the best uniform kits in the NFL. I was mm-hmm. stoked for the return of the creamsicle, but after the way they played against Detroit, I don't care if I never see him again. Uh, <laughs> the, the fact that the fact that they played that game and then lost three more, I think it brought back some sort of generational curse that we've kept hidden away for the last <laughs> decade. Uh, and and really, I hope that we don't see it if that means you know the team is affected in that way yet again. But uniforms, jersey numbers, all that stuff, that that stuff matters. You yeah, got to bring it up. And it Dude. makes a big point. Like Chase Young picking to wear 92 with the 49ers. I was like, should we trade him back? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Rashad White, man, at the running back position. Number 29, his rookie season. Like, that was a crime. You know, luckily they got him in number <laughs> well, one. I, I forget. There was something. Uh, his first number ever. I don't remember exactly what it was. It wasn't 29 though. It was some other number. And I was like, Ooh, I was like, it was like 26 or something. I was like, Oh, he's a bust. (laughs) (laughs) The the biggest crime we're not seeing right now is Christian McCaffrey could have had the chance to wear number five, which is what he wore at at Stanford with the 49ers. But that number was taken. 
by none other than Trey Lance at the time. So, uh, well, maybe next year. <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll tell you what, though, talking about the San Francisco 49ers and we'll wrap up with this. I do love their throwbacks, man. Those those '90s throwbacks, in oh, particular, man. the white on white. That's one of the best looks in the league. Like like it those, is. the Giants throwbacks. You know, the '90s throwbacks with the with the letter script helmet. I think those mm. are two or some of the best uh, classic looks in the NFL because it's a throwback, but it's not a throwback in the same sense as like the creamsicle or the Kelly Green, like. Yeah. Those two uniforms of San Fran and New York, it makes me think of the 90s. And 90s, like, yeah. 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 That's why I think more NFL teams need to do. Like 90s, like Falcons. Like go back to your 90s look, you know? Like that's what I think more teams need to do. It'll be a great day when we see the New England Patriots pull out those 1990s uniforms with the with giant. The, with the big, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. But thank you guys so much for checking us out this week on a live edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast game preview. Thank you to our buddy Tyler Call the Third. Tommy, Tommy, get his name right. Tommy, I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, I'll wear. I'll be Tyler. So no, 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 no. That was that was completely <laughs> ignorant on my part. I'm, I'm calling Dante. Dante, you're calling Tommy. Tyler, it's 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 the name. Sounds it sounds works. Hey. You know, you got to make up your own. You know, sports broadcaster name. I'm not roll with it. <laughs> Well, all right, Todd Call. Uh, <laughs> so, so Tommy, where can the people find you and a lot of the content that you put out? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Tommy underscore III. It sounds kind of weird. I feel like I need to change that. The, the triple I's for the third, obviously, but saying it out loud, just, I don't know. I've been debating changing it here over the last couple of weeks since more podcasts and saying it, but also uh, you can catch me on Niners Wire. Uh, I'm a contributor over there with our my uh, my guy Kyle Madsen, and uh, also if you're interested in NBA hoops talk, I'm also the Warriors writer for USA Today as well too. So a lot of stuff, and then believe in 49ers. Obviously, we're going to be talking everything. We're going to be recapping this game as soon as it's done on Sunday or Monday night. So can't wait to see it go down. Heck yeah, man. Looking forward to a competitive game this Sunday, and we appreciate your time as always. You can find our show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast, best place to go for updates on the show, and of course, Buccaneer News as it happens. Speaking of Bucks News as it happens, you can follow my co-host Evan on Instagram at Bucks underscore daily. You can also find him on Twitter at EvanNFL, and check out his written work at BucksNation.com. Evan, do you have anything this week to get some folks ready for the game? Uh, I'm going to be taking a look at the X factor there. Um, I, I mean, I mentioned it in this podcast. I mean, a little bit of a spoiler. It's going to be, you know, the Bucks offensive line versus the 49ers defensive line, specifically Tristan Wirfs and Luke Gedeke versus Nick Bosa and Chase Young. So uh, I'm going to be writing an article about that. Hopefully I'll be up for probably, probably be tomorrow. Probably which we're, we're recording this on Friday. So I'll be up Saturday. Fantastic. Last but not least, you can find myself Instagram and Twitter slash X at Redicus, R-H-E-T-T-A-K-U-S. If you follow me, I will follow you back. But that's the show. We'll talk to you guys Sunday live right here, youtube.com forward slash Fire podcast. Win, lose, or draw, we will be breaking down everything from week 11 for the Bucks and taking your phone calls as well. So excited to see you there. I'm your host, Rhett Matthews, signing off for my co-host, Evan Wanish, and our special guest, Tommy Call the Third. We'll talk to you in the next one. Until then, and as always, thank you for listening, and go box. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.